This is a recording made on the Wednesday dinner hour meeting, and we are still considering the emphasis upon the fact that Christ is all, all of one, borrowed from Hebrews chapter 2. It says in verse 10, just to get the context again, it says in verse 10 of chapter 2, For it became him for whom are all things and by whom are all things, in bringing many sons unto glory to make the captain of their salvation perfect through sufferings. For both he that sanctified and they who are sanctified are all of one. And the insistence upon that is going to be a subject before us for a period. I hope it will not be wearying to you, but rather cause for rejoicing that there's only one Saviour, there's only one gift of righteousness, there's only one revenue, only one reservoir of life. And the more we know that, the more we shall see that Christ indeed is all and in all to the church today. Now we're going to turn to this same epistle to the Hebrews a little further on to see how this is insisted upon in another aspect. First of all, chapter 9. <coughs> chapter 9 opens with a detailed consideration of the furniture of the tabernacle. And that of itself is a study, as I dare say you well know. Uh, but I'm focusing attention upon verses 7 and 8. But into the second, that's into the second part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, went the high priest alone once. Every year. Once. All that marvellous building, all the work put into it, all the gorgeous colouring, all the furniture, is focused upon one day, once only, <coughs> that holiest of all. No one else ever, ever entered it except the high priest. And he went in not without blood. And he went in covered with a cloud of incense. And as I think I've told you before, so terrible was the feeling of the presence of God that the uh, rabbinical addition uh, was that he had a rope round his ankle so that if he should die in the presence of God, they could pull him out without themselves being exposed. And that shows you the consciousness of the majesty that was within that small, uh, beyond that veil. But our point today is he went in once, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the elders of the people. Of course, that's where the type fails. He needed a saviour himself, poor man. So he is only a type of the true saviour who did no sin. The Holy Ghost did signify, now this is an important little extra. The Apostle doesn't say, and of course this is a type in the Scriptures. He goes deeper. He says the Holy Ghost is signifying something by this. So it's utterly impossible for you and me to enter into any of the riches of the Epistle to the Hebrews if we're among that sort of people who sniff and say, oh, we're not going to bother about all these old ceremonies that took place in days gone by, in those barbaric periods. The Holy Ghost is signifying something. And what is it? That the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest, while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present, in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the service perfect as pertaining to the conscience. That's where it failed. Externally they were cleansed, but the conscience remained untouched. Now then we come nearer to the subject in the close of chapter 9. We find that it says there, verse 24, 
For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands. Now this is looking back to that most holy place. Holy places to an English ear means a lot of places. Holy places to a Hebrew means the great holy place. It's what we call the plural of majesty. Um, our brother Perrit here will recognize the editor's we. Have you ever written we? Well, you're only one person, aren't you? But that's the editorial we. And the majesty says we. And the, in the Hebrew, that's a recognized figure. So it's not a, a lot of places, it's the most holy place. For Christ is not entered into the most holy place made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor yet that he should offer himself often, as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Shall we come into the word once again, you see? So at the end of the chapter, so Christ was once offered. Here's the insistence. He went once a year. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many. And unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. Now there's a word waiting for us in verse 26 that I must explain. It says, but now once you notice the word again, once in the end of the world, and that looks back to the first chapter, that in these last days, this is the end of the world so far as all this sacrificial science is concerned, that's all over now. Christ has come, so the end of that world is finished. But now once in the end of the world, hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Now, on the surface, it's excusable that a person thinks that's merely putting away your sin from you and forgiving you. But if you look at the actual word that is thus translated, you'll find it occurs in chapter 7, verse 18. It says in verse 17, Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before. Disannulling, that's the word put away here. It's nothing to do with putting away your sin, it's disannulling all the sacrificial system. You could translate it quite well, abrogating. His one offering abrogated the whole system of sacrificial worship. So shall we see that explained further in chapter 10? For the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offer year by year continually, make the comers there unto perfect. Only once was necessary because his was perfect. All the time they repeated them, day after day, and week after week, and year after year, they were reminding one another, this is only a shadow, waiting for the reality yet to come. What a blessed people we are. It would be wonderful to be living in the days when the tabernacle was there. But how much more wonderful when there's a true high priest in the tabernacle, which God pitched and not man, never to offer himself again. You can quite see without us everlastingly speaking about Romanism, Anybody who believes this truth could not possibly for any sake belong to the Roman Catholic Communion. For their great centre is the offering of the Mass, which is a repetition of the sacrifice which is once and forever never to be repeated. Now then, we go on in this chapter. It says, verse, uh, at the end of verse 2, they do not touch the conscience. They, they should have no more conscience of sins. But in these sacrifices, there is a remembrance again made of sins. Every year, 
you see, instead of the once, every year. Now he says, I told you that he came to abrogate and set aside all the sacrificial system, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sin, or what's the alternative? Verse um, 7, Then said I, Now I come in the volume of the book it is written on me, to do thy will, O God. A body hast thou prepared me. Verse 5. And in that body he offered that one sacrifice for sins forever. Now we come once more to the wonders. He's contrasting the priests in the old tabernacle with Christ. Verse 11. Oh, I mustn't miss out verse 10, must I, because of the word once. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once. Once is the word one applied to time. One is the word once applied to things. So we've got once and one offering. And every priest standeth. Do notice this. Every priest standeth. When Paul wrote the summary, as far as he got in the 8th chapter of Hebrews, he says, the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have a seated priest. So they summed it up. In a heavenly sanctuary. And you've only got a standing priest in a worldly sanctuary, and he goes on day after day, week after week, year after year, and you're no foreigner. Only the fact that you've got a type that's being perpetuated. And every priest standeth daily, ministering and offering, oftentimes, notice the insistence, the same sacrifices which can never take away sin. You see? Now then, what about this man? What about Christ? But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins, forever, sat down on the right hand of God. We're going to take this emphasis upon the seated priest, because it's so insisted upon. But for the moment, it's not that he sat down because he was weary. Oh, blessed be God, he did once, friends. This triumphant priest, once walking this earth, sat on a well, weary and asked for a drink. That was his condescension. Now is his ascension and his glory. It says that he sat down on the right hand of God from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. For, here comes again, by one offering, he has perfected forever them that are sanctified. One offering. Now it perfect. Now the word perfect is, has got in its makeup, as you know so, so well, going right through to an end. Whatever God had as a view in, uh, when he planned redemption, this one priest, this one offering, takes it right through to the end. And then the word forever is not the usual word which we get all over the New Testament, forever and forever. This is a special word. Isodionikis. It is unto all perpetuity. There's no word in any language which is richer in its meaning than this expression. That you have been perfected unto perpetuity. Now we have blitz back to verse 1 because the same word is there. But it's, it's disguised in rather a uh, too easy going translation. So I'm going now to alter as I read it without telling you what I'm doing but you'll see what happens. Verse 1, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, 
with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, make the comers thereunto perfect unto perpetuity. What a pity. They put the word continually there, just as a sort of an addition to the word year by year. If a thing's offered year by year, I should imagine it's going on continually, wouldn't you? Yes. And what a pity. The sacrifice this meaning, just to say that year by year means going on continually. No, no. The word continually belongs to the word perfectly. And is repeated again in verse 14. This is so important, I'm going to repeat it here. And bring the two together now. So once, once again, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never, with those sacrifices which they offered year by year, make the comers thereunto perfect, unto perpetuity. Now verse 14. For, picking it all up again, for by one offering he hath perfected unto perpetuity, then that are sanctified. And back we are to chapter 2. They, he that sanctifies, and they that are sanctified are all of one. All of one. The perfect high priest. The perfect sacrifice. The perfect offering. The perfect tabernacle. And those who were poor, miserable sinners are now perfected unto perpetuity. Can you believe it? It seems almost too good to be true. But that's a wonderful definition of the grace of God. Almost too good to be true. The human heart sometimes has a sort of rebellious fit to take such gifts without doing anything, without apparently meriting anything, is a bit too much for it. So we add our little bits here and we add our little bits there, but it's spoiling it, friends. It's spoiling it. Let's do all our adding after we come away accepted in the Beloved and then seek to serve on that basis. Now there's one more statement about the um, the once, which I think is important, and that comes um, in verses um, oh, verse 17. Yes? Verse, verse 17 and 18. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now, where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. No more. So it's once. Never to be repeated. No more offering for sin. That's a blessed note. But now there's a solemn note struck. The solemn note. In verse 26. If we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, don't forget, there's no more offering for sin. You've got to go back to the one offering that you've turned your back on. And whatever your feelings may be, there's never going to be another offering for sin. Romans chapter 6 says, Christ died no more. In that he died, he died unto sin once. Once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now I've just taken it randomly once. I <coughs> a few of the verses of this wonderful epistle to the Hebrews, stressing one thought, one sacrifice, one accepted priest, one work done completely and never to be repeated. I don't think anybody would think you were very, very uproarious if somebody were to shout out hallelujah. Would you think so? If you're, if you're doing it in your heart to the Lord, will you hear it? Whatever well, we want to go to the, another stage for this, which is waiting for us are waiting for us. There is one God. 
But one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. So that I think we must say, let's have a go at that when we meet together next time. For we haven't seen it all yet, friends. We're only just getting the beginning of a glimpse of this wonderful feature, emphasized as it is by the Apostle, writing by inspiration of God. Stressed by the comparison he makes between the old and its repetitions and the new with its once offered offering unto them that look for him. It says, we'll finish up with that. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation.